This is the first Sunday of Advent, 2018, and we have our Advent candle set up. We'll be lighting a different candle every week and focusing on a different candle every week. And we're in this message, uh, this Advent series about revelation, the, the, the revealing, the unwrapping, the disclosing, the announcing, uh, the coming of Jesus being revealed. And what does the coming of Jesus actually reveal? The, initial, the initiative that God takes in sending him. And one of the things that it reveals, and we'll try to introduce a different aspect of that each of these four Sundays of uh, Advent before we get to Christmas and lighting of that center candle, that Christ candle, is God's response, God's plans, God's solution. I've entitled this message, God Loves You, and reality has a pretty darn challenging plan for your life. Some of you know what I'm playing on, the words I'm playing on. How many have heard of the four spiritual laws? In other words, how many of you are 107 or older? You know, <laughs> my, my four spiritual laws. In fact, my dear wife, Brenda, actually was introduced to Jesus by a couple of girlfriends who came to visit her one night after she was kind of having a, a, she had a bad day and having a bad season, tough season. They said, can we come and encourage you? We want to come by your house and cheer you up. She said, sure you can. They came over and they had this little rectangular tan packet and they handed her one and they opened it and they turned the first little page. It'll fit, you know, smaller than the palm of your hand. And the, it has God's four spiritual laws. And the first spiritual law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm convinced that's true. God loves us. And we were reminded last week by our guest speaker, Kennedy, he has a wonderful plan for our life. He, he knows the future that he has for us plans to cause us to prosper and to give us a blessing. But in my experience, and I'm sure in your experience, God loves me, but it seems like reality doesn't love me so much. Reality has a bit of a difficult plan for my life. Things drop in that don't seem very loving, very convenient, very tender, very nice. Some things are great. Maybe even most things are great. But stuff comes into our personal history. I mean, look, I mean, if you just watch the news, I actually have cut myself off from watching too much news. I, I go on a diet, uh, you know, I restrict myself because if I'm, my temperament is uh, stuff goes right to my heart. And so when I start hearing bad report after bad report after bad report, art can become a very grumpy, discouraged person. But last week I was listening to the news and watching the news. And, you know, every day you're hearing some new version of the upheaval in our national government. That's not encouraging. Uh, we had these fires that everybody knows about what was going on in the fires. The latest report I got, this is about three days old, I think. This is, reality's kind of throwing some tough things at us. Like, I read that 18,790 structures were destroyed just in the just in the Northern California fire, the campfire. And that 13,000 plus, a few hundred of those, were actually people's homes, just gone, leveled. Now, of course, that's followed up by the challenging news of widespread flooding. God loves us, but reality has a pretty darn challenging plan for us. When we were in Africa, we were sitting 
outside in, in Kenya. This, we took a team, as I said, to Kenya to meet our compassion children for the first time. Team of 13 or 14, something like that. And we were sitting outside at some tables after uh, finishing a day of, of being in those villages. And Adrian Gretschman, who was on our team, who was with us on that trip, picked up her phone and read a text, burst out in tears, got up abruptly, had to run, go back to her room because she told us of the uh, shooting, the mass shooting in her hometown of Thousand Oaks. She knew some of the people that were at that club. And then, and then I get a text this week, Tuesday, I think it was. Somebody said, hey, pray for Mill Valley Middle School. There's a bomb threat, and they've evacuated, evacuated Mill Valley Middle School. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of good stuff that's given uh, by God into our lives. But reality, human life introduces things that don't seem very loving. In fact, the human condition and our circumstances as I consider it anyway, can seem rather toxic, chronically so. Like bad stuff is happening all the time. So is good stuff. But the bad stuff, if you're a temperament, made, if you're made up like me, the bad stuff tends to carry a little more weight on the scale. The heaviness kind of rocks me. And last week we had uh, our guest, Kennedy Kretze here. Kennedy was... Uh, Kennedy was uh, Grew up in the slums outside of slums in Nairobi, Mazari slum, the second largest slum in Africa. And he told us uh, his story. He was connected with the Compassion program and grew up, and there was a big change in his life as a result of him being in that uh, in that uh, program. But listen to him as we're going to reiterate from rehearse from last week. These are some clips from last Sunday, as he talks about what the initial context was for him in that slump growing up. He was given a message that said, look, there's an inversion layer. There's a cultural social inversion layer. And you can never rise above it. So get used to it. Listen to, listen to what he has to say about what it was like growing up. Madare is a place of hopelessness. It is believed that when you're born in Madare, your life is scripted. A typical boy can only live up to 16 years of age before their death. By the time you're 11, you get into crime because the rest of the society doesn't care for you. You try to fight, you try to be Madare, and you end up doing the wrong things and you die. A typical girl can only live up to 13 before they become moms. When they're 26, their child is 13, they are grandmas. When they're 39, their child is 26, their grandchild is 13, they are great grandmas. By the time they're 52, they've seen four generations of their life. And this is what just builds up into the cycle of poverty. Madara is about five square miles, hosting about a million people. It is very congested. It is hell. It is not a place you're proud to say you're from. In fact, if I was in Kenya right now and I said I'm from Madare, you'll see a, a different reaction. Everybody will be holding their purse and their phones and their wallets to make sure they're still in their pockets. Usually we round off where you live to the nearest rich neighborhood. You don't say you're from Madara, you say the I'm, I'm south, that rich neighborhood around there. Because it's not a place you want to identify yourself with. Nobody cares for you, nobody wants you around them. You stink, you're hopeless, you're bad, you're the worst of the worst. 
Nobody wants you around them. Nobody wants to be near you. You stink. You're hopeless. And you're not just the worst. You're the worst of the worst. Now imagine you're born, and then the next day, your second day of life, that's the context, that's the message, and you're going to get that message up until your pre-adolescent years where you have to make a decision about survival or not survival. You know, when we see the struggles around us, not just the struggles that we see on the news, but then we hear from new friends what their environments are like. And we take teams to places that uh, that's normal for them. You can kind of get you can kind of get discouraged. I mean, if you're really honest with God and no one's listening, you you, you want to say to him, "Hey, li- listen here, do you see I mean, are you actually hearing? Are you seeing this? Something's not adding up. Because I've heard you're all powerful, and I've heard that you love us, and you have a wonderful plan for our lives. And I've heard that you see everything, and that nothing is hidden from your eyes, and that you hear the cries of your people. And are you and I seeing and hearing the same thing? Something doesn't add up. Either you're not hearing and seeing, or you're not all powerful, and my theology has not given me, given me either of those options to make sense of this. Do you see what's going on, and why do you tolerate it? And what is your answer to all of this despair? What is your answer to a guy like Kennedy and to his nine siblings and his parents? Does God really see, and if he does, What's his plan for addressing the state of humanity? Advent is about what God is revealing in response to that lament. It invites us to explore and to remember. And from remembering to look forward to what God is unwrapping for us. His solution to the brokenness that Kennedy and really all of us experience as a child born in a Nairobi slum and to our despair while living in one of the richest states in the richest country in the world and every season watching a certain percentage of it go up in smoke, literally. What's your answer? You know, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And on each of those Sundays, as I said, we're going to light an Advent candle, and this candle today especially, this candle is something we're going to be able to see. But in seeing, it's going to invite us to hear something as well. We light the candle that gives us our answer to the question that I just posed. God, what's your solution? What's your response? Don't just sit on your hands. What are you doing? What have you done? This first candle is called the hope candle. It's the promise candle. What's your answer? My answer is to give you hope. That hope is coming in the form of Jesus Christ. And I said that this candle is something we see. It reminds us of hope. But I also said... This candle is asking us to hear. It's asking us to hear 
a wailing, crying, screaming infant that is the answer to the question we're all asking. It's God's response to our deep wounds. And it asks us to listen. And I ask you this morning, do you hear it? Do you hear the baby crying? Do you hear the wailing? Do you see the kicking and screaming? And don't be fooled by the apparent foolishness of this answer. What seems like a weak and insufficient answer. Man, we're asking for an earthquake of a leader and you send us a baby. Can't even feed himself. Thumbs aren't even turned out yet. How's he going to hold a sword? But the answer that God gives us is a squall, is a scream. It's a child's crying out, and it's a cry not of despair, but it's a squall, the cry of hope, thus the hope candle. I want to read some texts because we're going to build off of these. The squall of hope, that's the answer, that's God's plan. Listen to these and listen for hope in them. From Matthew 1. After he had, after Joseph has just found out that his fiancée Mary is pregnant and he hasn't been with her, so uh, he's considering what any man would consider after that. What in the world is going on? Who has been with her? And he has the right to divorce her and to shame her in public in order to save face. But instead he chooses to take a humble route and he's going to dismiss her and break the engagement, but in a way that saves her life. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is in Matthew 1, verse 20 now, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And here's our line, because he will... There's a hope word, will, future. Save his people from their sins. He is my answer. He will save his people from their sins. Hope. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, there's some hope. Listen to Romans 8. Paul now is doing a commentary trying to make sense to people who are reading his letters for how this stuff is all fitting together. What is God's answer? Paul says, I've come to tell you God's answer. And listen to how he commentates on this. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That's an interesting comparison. Right up to the present time. So you have this idea in the first line there of Paul looking back and looking forward, remembering. And and he has this inclination to teach about hope. There's this sort of waiting period that we're in. There's a groaning, but there's a groaning because, man, it's going to be different, but it's not different yet. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul aligns himself now with all of creation and the earliest Christians with all of creation. There's this hope element in our faith. 
For in this hope we were saved. Oh, the hope element and our actual rescuing are tied together. But then he says this, hope that is seen isn't really hope. Hope that is seen is certainty. Certainty and hope are not the same thing. Who hopes for what they already have? You don't have to hope for it. You already have it. But hoping, there's this, like, it's coming, baby, it's coming. So there's a promise that's been made. The promise hasn't yet been fulfilled. But you have a certain hope in that promise. You have a certain level of confidence. Man, it's not just a pipe dream. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is happening. But it's not happened yet. There's a hope there. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's the baby's cry of hope. Listen to Titus. Paul writing to Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the what? In the hope of eternal life. In the hope of eternal life. Whoa, 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 I need more than hope, and I'm changing my whole life. You give me hope? Because there's a promise that's been made. Which God, who does not lie, is not capable of making a promise he will not keep, Paul says. He's promised before the beginning of time. And which now, at this appointed season, has been brought to light through the uh, preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. You know, hope is one of the three theological virtues, but in our version of Christianity these days, it's as though as these days we, we sort of, in these days, we've sort of set aside that whole thing and we've traded it away for, I know that I know that I know. I'm absolutely certain. What's better to say, I'm absolutely convinced because I can be convinced and still hope. There's still something to come. There's still faith involved and required in this walk with Jesus because that's the answer God gives us, hope. He gives us Jesus. You know what hope, here's what hope is like. Hope means your order has been received and your order has been shipped. So all that remains is for you to get to the day where they ring the doorbell and you can go open the door and see it on your stoop. Hope means the doorbell hasn't rung yet, but there's this promise made. Your order's been received and your order's been shipped. And then what do you do? You hope it gets here in time for you to wrap it and get it under the tree. But Amazon has sent you a promise. (laughs) You know what hope is? Hope is like... Like, it's like when you're on that shuttle bus at the airport and it's packed and you're like shoulder to shoulder and it's a big bus and you just, they stuff you in there to get you out to the tarmac. You know, some of those airport systems, especially if you travel around the world, you have them like that. And you're all in there like this, man, that guy's kind of a rough driver. And if he slams on the brakes, everybody's going to, there's going to be this big, painful, injury producing domino effect inside the bus. Except that somebody has given you what? (gasps) Hope. It's coming. But it hasn't come yet, but it's coming. It's as though God does hear and God does see. 
And we say, what's your answer? And he says, my answer is this little baby who will change everything and give you hope. That's not the best part of the message. I don't think. I think the best part of the message is found in yet another classic Christmas text. In Luke chapter 2. Because to understand the force of this promise that's made, you have to understand who it was actually made to and who was given responsibility for spreading the message. The force of God's plan is understood really only in that context because it was first announced to shepherds. And if you've been in churches for many Christmases, you've heard this. This isn't new. But shepherds weren't necessarily the highest level of society in their time. What God did was he announced this message of hope. Like to the sanitary workers, the garbage collectors of of time. When I was a kid in Santa Clara, we had a neighborhood, you know, like a track home. My parents bought their home in Santa Clara. Uh, in 1955 for $12,000. I was on, you know, I would recommend that if you grew up in a house like that and your parents were in San Jose or, or even around here, don't, don't look at these sites that say, here's what your parents' house is worth today. Don't go there, it's really discouraging. Like two, three gazillion dollars now, you know, for the $12,000 house you grew up in. Um, but we used to have, in those days, you get your garbage, you just put the garbage out in the can. You didn't have to put the can on the street. Can you imagine that? You did not have to put the garbage out on the street. And you got to have your own style of garbage can. They were not all synchronized, systematic. And the, and the garbage collectors, there was a big truck just like now, but it didn't have arms or anything on it. It just had the back where the back sucked all the garbage in. The garbage collectors had these enormous aluminum Garbage cans. They were this high, and they were about this big around. And then on the one end, welded on there, was a big double hook. And they could take that, they could get under that thing and get that hook on their shoulder and lift it up, and they would carry that big garbage can on their back, and it would go from house to house to house. So I remember watching them as a kid and being astounded. They would go, and they would dump both of our garbage cans in their big garbage can, and they would carry it right just across the grass to the next house and dump both of those garbage cans in their garbage can. Sometimes they get three houses in before they had to finally take this thing out to the truck that was waiting for them on the street and creeping up from house to house. And they would take that big garbage can of all of the soiled mess from the meals we've made and the garbage we've thrown away, and they would go right over like this, and it would come right alongside their ear and their head and dump all three households of garbage into the back of that truck. And by the end of the day, can you imagine what they smelled like? God's announcement of hope, God's announcement that says, here's my answer, comes to the garbage workers, comes to the shepherds, comes to the stinky, it comes to the people who needed it the most to be delivered to the people who didn't think they needed it at all. Here's this text. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And, and it must, must, something must have happened. God must have looked and thought, he was having a bad day. He thought, oh, shepherds, that's my only option for announcing the greatest news humanity has ever heard. I want to tell the kings and the princes 
and the well-to-do about the hope I give them. So let me see, what are my options? Don't have any other options. I have to do stinky shepherds. No, he chose the shepherds, just like the Lord, isn't it? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what do you think their response was? <laughs> they were terrified. Because they, picture that. Here they are out, just mind their business, taking care of their sheep. Lowest people in society, but they're still at least working and doing the best they can. They're used to being alone. They're used to staying up all night. They're used to camping out all the time, which to me is the modern version of hell, but we won't go there. It's another topic. And all of a sudden, ta-da, light and singing and angels. They didn't have holograms. They didn't know what was going on. Bam, all this just shows up and starts singing and announcing and praising God. Of course they were afraid. And that's why the text goes on and it says, the, the angel said to them, stop being terrified. Don't be afraid. This is not bad news. I haven't come to light you on fire and turn you to dust. Come to bring you good news that will cause Great joy, and here's the word, for all the people. For all the people. That's the good news. It's for everyone. This hope is not just for the elect of your culture. This hope is not just for the powerful of your culture. This, this hope is not just for the princes and the princesses and the queens and the well-educated of your time. This is for everyone. This isn't just for white everyone. This is for everyone. This isn't just for American everyone. This is for the world, this hope. And it comes in the form of a baby. That's my solution. And it's for everybody that wants it. Everybody that will receive it. Can you hear it? Can you hear the baby crying? Not because he needs his diaper changed but because he wants to change all of us. Can you hear him screaming and wailing and saying, come to me, all of you who are brokenhearted and lost or have forgotten why you're so successful. Come to me and I will align your life in such a way you'll never believe you could have had such deep joy and purpose. And all of a sudden, God's answer doesn't look so weak to me anymore. God's solution looks workable. And it gives me hope. It's for all, all, all the people. You know, our friend Kennedy didn't stop there. He also told about what happened once he had uh, a sponsor that helped him to keep going that wrote to him and told him, hey, Kennedy, we love you. You have value. Listen to how he finishes this message. For the first time, I started dreaming of a future. For the first time, I had hope. My sponsors told me that they had a picture of me on their refrigerator. For the first time, I was told that I was cute and I was handsome and I had the cutest smile they'd ever seen. Isn't that true? <laughs> My sponsors told me that they prayed for me, thought of me, told me that 
I was destined for greatness. They told me that poverty wasn't my destiny. They often told me about Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not says poverty. Not says the situation I was in. Not says the script that the society had told me was my story. But says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. For the first time, a future and a hope was something to think of. For the first time, a future and a hope was something to think of. He's saying, man, maybe. Maybe it's possible for me to lie down to sleep in a nasty slum of Masari and wake up on the beautiful beaches of Maui. Maybe that's possible. Maybe tomorrow can be different than today. And that's the hope that that baby's cry gives us, isn't it? We say, God, help us. The world is on fire. And he says, I will hear you. I will help you. Here's your answer. Jesus. Hope. He will conquer everything that's trying to conquer you if you'll come to him and give your life to him and follow him. That's the hope candle. Advent reveals God's solution to the human dilemma. Advent says there's going to be a gift that's being unwrapped. And right now we're sitting, we've received the message, your order has been received, your package has been sent. But today the doorbell hasn't rang yet. Today, in this season of history, we sit and wait. But there's going to come a day when we get to open the door and we see what God has for us where nothing that breaks our heart will be allowed to coexist with a new heart, where all things become new. Hold on for that day. Hope in that day.